0: explodes! What was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, <laughs> I'm a pitcher, why not swing as hard as I can?
1: He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling
2: at his teammates, Steve. Team. <laughs> Coach, Minshew mania, the mustache
0: sensation has taken over. Pullman. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. I don't recall. Becoming a sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular. This thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long.
2: All right, guys, here we go. We have one team, one heartbeat. I right we're gonna play for each other. We're gonna have a chance back. We're gonna win this ball game. One team, one heartbeat. Here we go, go. That might be the best sideline
0: report in the history of, <laughs> of sideline reports. Welcome into another episode of Sideline Pass podcast, Molly McGrath, Chris and Allison Williams, where we break down the college football games from the week before. And this week, we are so excited to have Nicole Auerbach, a writer, breaking news extraordinaire, meme uh, finder, and <laughs> storyteller from The Athletic. <laughs> Thanks so much uh, for coming on, Nicole. I guess let's first start with the craziness that was last week. And I guess the ended up total of 15 games getting canceled. What was that like for you to cover? Yeah, it was, it's been kind of crazy because, um,
3: you know, even when, you know, you talk to all these ADs and, and commissioners all summer and all fall and they keep saying like, there's going to be disruptions, there's going to be disruptions. It's still pretty jarring when they happen. And I think especially each time it was the first time in a conference. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, kind of, we kind of went through it all again with, with the big 10 and the pac 12 and then the Mac had their first one this week. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that we get to a point where like four sec games get postponed or canceled and we all kind of just move on. And like, yeah, the Saturday wasn't as exciting as, as it was supposed to be. And and we didn't have any ranked on ranked matchups, but at this point, like it really does feel like it's a marathon and everyone is just focused on that finish line. And and the crazy thing is like the finish line is December 19th. And and I don't think people realize that because everyone's so fixated on the playoff, but mm-hmm. it's really getting to those championship games. And in some of these leagues, they have those challenges where they're all playing on the 19th. And then at that point, everyone can take a breather. Well, worry about basketball, but like, you know, take a breather and and kind of reset and and hope that 2021 isn't as infected, but yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been kind of crazy just to keep up with all of them. And I think the the craziest part, and I'm sure you guys have all experienced this too, is like the Friday cancellations, you know, when you're 24 hours out of a game, um, those have been the most jarring. Cause at that point you, you typically think that you're pretty much in smooth sailing, but I think we've all learned that like basically up until they kick off, <laughs> you really never know.
1: Nicole, you talked about December 19th as kind of uh I don't know, something that everyone's looking forward to as like a stoppage point. Like, let's just get to December 19th. But it also feels like a lot of programs and a lot of conferences are saying, let's just get to Thanksgiving. How do you think Thanksgiving is going to affect college football, especially with so many students going back home for Thanksgiving and then coming back onto campus afterwards? Like, what are you hearing people talk about as it pertains to Thanksgiving?
3: Yeah, I think that's a huge question, just for the whole country, right? I mean, probably even more so outside of college football, because I'm not sure, and and maybe you guys know better. I don't know if everyone's letting people go home, because, you know, I would think in order to preserve, you know, they, they use the term bubble, but we know these aren't bubbles. But whatever they, they can preserve, um, that they would want to. But, you know, I mean, Thanksgiving is the ultimate, like, Covid spreader event, right? And and this idea of, of people traveling from different places to get together to eat indoors without masks on, right? Like even if you are a person that's taking you know all the precautions, you can't wear a mask when you eat. So um, my guess is that you know for some of these holidays, and and I would imagine even with Christmas, if you know if teams are in bowl games or have have you know other things, I, I would imagine some of the typical breaks where people can go home you know, maybe are discouraged, if not just flat out, not allowed because of these reasons. I mean, I think you've seen a lot of programs struggle during off weeks um, when guys did leave campus and, you know, we've seen outbreaks happen after bye weeks for that reason. So um, I think it's a huge challenge. I mean, honestly, every day is a huge challenge in in this world, but yeah, especially those traditional settings where, um, you know, I think, you know, we saw after Halloween, right? You know, you wait two weeks and, and you see that there's an impact from holidays. Um, And I think that like, you know, across the country, we're totally going to see that with Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, And so again, I I guess it would be up to the coaches and the ADs to decide whether or not they would even allow people really out of sight to, to, to potentially be in those settings.
2: And don't you feel like the conference that's going to struggle through all this the most is the Pac-12 because they have such a late start? I mean, they essentially got started right when things started to get bad across the country and specifically in the regions where the Pac-12 schools are located. I was asked this last week. um, when I did a a radio hit about just kind of the temperature in the Pac-12. And I'm curious what you're kind of seeing, hearing, uh, feeling from that conference, because it it does seem like they started behind the eight ball and now they're just struggling to get this thing off the ground where the other conferences outside the Big Ten, you know, most of them have six, seven games already. So what do you think that means with where the Pac-12 is at schedule wise and how it's kind of lining up with what's going on across the country?
3: I think that the key for them, I I think, you know, even in a perfect world, they were going to have a lot fewer games, right? And so to me, the biggest thing was clearly at that point, they realized they would have been the only ones playing in the spring. They would have been the only ones on a weird schedule. And I think it was back. I think the whole point was to get back on the same calendar as everyone else. And it was less about, you know, getting close to the same amount of games or, you know, playoff contention. I mean, I think everyone knows that it's, it's a long shot for Oregon or, or whoever comes out of the Pac-12 for these reasons, but it, it's about preserving 2021. So like not, you know, not impacting the spring as much as possible. Um, you know, hopefully having a fall season. I mean, when we were in those phases, when the big 10 and the Pac-12 were postponed and we're thinking about spring models, you're looking, okay, well, are you going to have to then only play 10 games in the fall or like, how is that going to work from a wear and tear standpoint? So I I think you know it's it's more of a big picture thing versus like the immediacy of oh well what if they only get six games in and Alabama gets ten like that's not that important it, it was I, to me I think it's about getting through the calendar um getting back in the same calendar as everyone else but yeah it's not fun to go through this I mean to have cancellations week one like that is not hmm. ideal in in the league um, and. You know, again, I I sort of think, especially with them and and the way that those states in that region have been hit by COVID, and then obviously California has a lot of restrictions. If they had stayed postponed, I think the the decision would have aged well, but I also understand, you know, why they reversed it. So Mm -hmm. I I think they were in a really tough spot, and it's again, it's like, get the season in, rear view mirror, and like focus on next year, Um, instead of, again, being the only one playing in the spring, and then possibly putting your teams at a disadvantage for next year.
0: You mentioned like the craziness of canceling on a Friday in in the PAC 12. So I had Arizona state Cal and we had thought all week it was going to be a Cal issue because Mm -hmm. of Berkeley, they had one positive case. They were trying to, you know, you know, argue with the city of Berkeley. It gets to Friday and we get told, Hey, prepare for a game on Sunday. So I get on a plane and that's when we're told that it's now an ASU pro- problem. Who he had just talked to the day before—that just like in 24 hours, how quickly it can get shut down. So that the it was just a perfect example of mass chaos. I, I want to get into a little bit of your career because, like, one of the cool things that I think has happened during this COVID time is like seeing how much news you have broken, and as being like a. a part of the badass woman club. Um, Take us through your career and what was like your ultimate career goal.
3: Yeah. I I don't know if I've had an ultimate career goal and I, I, you know, people still are like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of evolved. Um, Like I didn't think I was going to get into this. I I thought I was going to, I was like math and science in high school. I thought I was going to go to business school And, um, I did realize that, you know, econ in college was not that fun. Um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't particularly thrive in that setting the way that I thought I was going to. Um, and, and really I just like kind of joined the student paper, went to Michigan, um, just on a whim. I was, I was moving in as a freshman in my dorm and my dorm had, uh, upperclassmen as well. So the girl across the hall from me was a sophomore and, we're talking about our dream jobs and she like wanted to be a surgeon, which she actually did. So she actually like, saves lives. And I of course was like, Oh, I want to write for sports illustrated. And you know, not again, not really realizing these were real people who, who had these jobs. And she was like, Oh, my best friend's a news editor. You should join the student paper. Um, and so I just like emailed the sports editor, went to the first meeting. So my first game as a student where I had not been I did not grow up in a college sports market. I grew up in New York or New Jersey, but New York sports. So I'd never gone to a college game. First game was App State. So I am, you know, like heat stroke. I am tired. I literally never stood for a whole game, you know, like all of the things about college football. And I am just like walking back in the sea of silence with everyone. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this
2: is not at all. Like
3: I didn't quite, again, the magnitude, I wasn't there for the Rose Bowl the year before and like kind of the expectations. Yeah. Did you realize
2: I, how big of an upset that was at the time? I like did. If, I okay.
3: did. But like, again, not because I hadn't been there with the expectation. I hadn't experienced just like winning by 40 and like leaving. Right. And then just like going and partying on a Saturday night in Ann Arbor. Right. Like I hadn't had that experience. So the context of what it was supposed to be like wasn't there, gotcha. but absolutely knew they were not supposed to be doing that. And, <laughs> um, and it was just like the craziest way, obviously with the kicks at the end and, and, um, just like a surreal day. And I went to the student newspaper the next day for my first meeting and they were like, they had all the, the first issue always came out after school started, which it hadn't yet. So they had spent the whole se- summer on these, like, big features on Mike Hart, Chad Henney, Jake Long, why they came back, the chase for a national championship. They like, tore up the whole thing and had to do this, like, what the hell happened in this game? Um, and it was pretty interesting. Like, I was, I, I thought it was compelling what they were doing. I thought it was really interesting that there were legitimate college students who could write with authority and explain stuff and people would read it. And I picked up a story on Ultimate Frisbee, which was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and that was my first story. And then, you know, you make friends and you keep going. But um, I know I'm rambling here. But, like, really, I, I didn't know that this is something I wanted to do until I interned in the, in the space. And I interned at the Trentonian, which is kind of a tabloid-style, um, you know, newspaper magazine type thing in New Jersey. And I covered a lot of the Trenton Thunder, AA baseball. I covered Little League, softball, and baseball. I did drag racing, which, you know, that, that teaches you how to become a reporter because it's a three second race. There's nothing to describe. So you have to tell stories. Wow. And that was when I realized, like, this is something I want to do. It was nights and weekends, as, as we all know at this field. And it didn't feel, I didn't have FOMO. You know, I didn't feel <laughs> like I was missing something when my friends were all just hanging out, you know, and they you know, summer after freshman year. So I interned at the Cape Cod Times, covered the Cape Cod Baseball League the next summer. Then I went to USA Today. Then I went to the Boston Globe. um, And then I was fortunate enough that when I was interviewing for full-time jobs, um, there was an opening at USA Today for a digital editor uh, in college basketball. So I, I was able to get that job. Um, we had a restructuring, and um, you know, people could reapply for their jobs or any job that they wanted. And this was pretty soon after I got hired. So it was like, welcome to the business and layoffs and and you know, just the the chaos. Um, but i was I was fortunate enough after a year to become a a reporter. And eventually added college football. A couple years later, I've done two Olympics. I covered the London and the Rio Olympics. I covered swimming um, and then joined the Athletic in 2017 when we were really, really small. Um, College football was going to be our first national vertical. We're going to cover something nationally. We were only in four cities at that point. Um, And, you know, my editor from USA Today, Dan Uthman, was sliding over and, and launching this new thing. And I figured, let's try it. Let's see if we can get people to pay for content instead of thinking that our work is worth zero cents. So um, that's the writing side. I've done TV for the Big Ten Network as an analyst for the last few years, do radio for Sirius. So that's the part where it's like, I couldn't have said five years ago that I would be comfortable doing TV or radio and like a three-hour radio show. Oh, no big deal. you know. But that stuff's been really fun to add into the mix and kind of break up the week. So, uh, yeah, but like what you guys do, I can never do that. Would be way too stressful, but I do really like adding the, the studio analysts, just these spaces where I feel like I can give my opinion on things, which as, as we all know, there's, there's not always roles for women in sports where you can give your opinion. And, and a lot of times you are asking men for their opinions on stuff. So that's been really cool over the last few years as well.
1: And I've loved following your career with The Athletic as well. I think it's amazing what The Athletic has done in such a short time, especially in terms of um, the credibility of that site and the different features. And one of the things during this offseason with all of the crazy COVID news breaking, I I tweeted this. Every morning, I would wake up and I would check your Twitter. Uh, (laughs) breaking news because you were so on top of it, especially when news was ever changing. How did you deal with that? And how were you able to break news during such a strange time where we're all forced to be at home? And um, like, I'm just so interested in just the breaking news side of your job and how you, you've been able to do that.
3: Yeah, it's been an evolution, really. I think when I first got to USA Today and you know, got put in this college basketball space. I was so overwhelmed. I was like, there are 350 head coaches and assistant coaches, and then there's athletic directors. And there was just so many people that I was so worried that all of these other competitors had been covering these sports for so long. I was never going to catch up. And at some point I talked to myself out of framing it that way in my head. And I just started going to local events and kind of being strategic about it. So I remember like Jay writes my, my example of, when I learned I could actually do this. Um, I went to a like coaches versus cancer luncheon. I was living in DC. It was like in Baltimore. And you go to these events just to sit through them or wait in a hallway to shake someone's hand for five minutes. Like that, that's what reporting is, right? It's, it's to get that face time. So I go and I do that. I introduce myself to Jay he asked me some questions about myself and then says, you know, Nicole, I know you're just starting like you ever want to come by campus. I will introduce you to my whole staff you Can come for lunch. Like we can, you know, I can help you meet people. So I tick him up for the offer. Cause you know, no one, not everyone says that stuff. And so I ended up adding a stop at Lehigh when CJ McCollum was still there and, um, ended up doing a few things on him throughout the year. And right now, if I texted him, he would respond and, and same with his coach. And so again, it's like, I sat through, I think I played like Colgate. It was like a terrible game, but it's like for the five minutes and you know, that matters, you know, down the road. So I go and I spent this day with Jay and meet his whole staff and all these things. And I remember leaving and thinking, I think I have really like built a relationship today. I think I can do this. And you know, you fast forward, they win their first championship and it's two in the morning. And because I have these relationships with Jay, I'm sitting, he's eating a burger at two in the morning. I'm next to him and his wife. Like, three hours after they won their first national championship. And so that was like a full circle moment. And so I think like when I was doing the basketball, you know, every time I would go somewhere, I would, when I was primarily basketball, I would still try to pitch football stories. I would also always try to meet athletic directors. I've done NCAA conventions. I've done spring meetings when the conferences meet. Coaches are so relaxed in the off season. It's like the only time that, you know, they're so chill if you go to like happy hour or something with them um and i just tried to you know again just meet people as much as possible but i always made sure that i met the administrators and i think that that is where not everyone in college sports puts energy into like i think it's always easy to just you know okay i want to talk to the coach and the players but a lot of the decisions in this past off season were made above them i mean coaches had no control over the situation and it was conference commissioners and it was associate commissioners on these calls and it was athletic directors and it was interesting for me because again, when you cover basketball, there's a lot of leagues that don't play football, but I've kept those relationships so there were periods where you could see that dominoes were falling and things were affecting each other, like the Ivy League or the Patriot League um but it wasn't directly impacting football, but you knew that like you could see how it could or that just you know their fall sports that weren't football were going to be affected so I basically And I didn't write it down, but I was, I would make a mental list of like eight different conferences and check in with people in eight different conferences a day, and then figure out when there were meetings with presidents who could actually make like the big decisions and then figuring out what time they were. And so checking with people right before and then after, um, and it was just, it was just a lot to keep track of. I was very stressed. I, you know, wasn't sleeping well, but it was sort of a full circle moment for me where I never felt like I was going to big time anyone or any level you know, everyone changes jobs in this profession, but even some of these smaller conferences aren't, they matter. And, and they're, you know, every conference commissioner is on a commissioner's call with all of them, you know, so they can tell you what's happening. Even if it's not Greg Sankey telling it to you directly, you can still know where things are. So there were a lot of times where you knew things were happening, but you know, you couldn't report it yet. So you're waiting for those final decision makers. Um, And then our sourcing standards, you know, they had to be, they had to tell like, Let's say the presidents in the PAC-12 decided that they were going to postpone the season. I needed to get that from someone a president told directly or someone on that call, right? So I think that was also really helpful when there was a lot of misinformation out there is like, I've always had, you know, really strict sourcing standards, again, coming from newspapers. So it was easy to kind of, even if you were worried someone might beat you on something, like to just know that what you were putting out was accurate. And I also tried to cross reference stuff. Like I didn't want to carry water for anyone who was pushing mm-hmm. a schedule or like something that wasn't quite right. So I would just check it with people in other leagues or, um, you know, again, I also like have a Rolodex of immunologists and doctors and epidemiologists now, right? So it's like all these things you didn't think you were going to do. Um, so I just sort of check everything and and um, and do things that way. But yeah, it was chaotic. And, and it really did, I think, show the value of, getting to know people at all levels of college sports because they are interconnected. Everyone knows what's going on. And, you know, a decision in the sun belt matters to the SEC. Even if they don't want to say it that way, ultimately everything is interconnected. So it was chaos. It was crazy. But again, it 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 made the, you know, I think an important lesson, I think, to You know, some of my colleagues and some of the beat writers were asking me, you know, how do I get to know people in the athletic department now? Like, how do I get to know the athletic director and associate AD and all these people? Because really, like most of the time, our jobs are just on the field and it's football. But there are times where those people have no power of the situation. And this was that.
2: Well, and I think you bring up such a good point. We have like a lot of young reporters who listen to this. Um, And I think you are such a great example of the value of developing relationships Um, because that is 90% of what this business is about. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the key to cultivating them? I mean, it's one thing to go to Jay Wright and say hello and attend his practice, but how do you maintain and cultivate these relationships um, so that when it is time for you to gather some information, you're comfortable doing that?
3: I think that's a really stressful part when the first time you need to use it, right? When you need to like ask for an injury, something. And, And also I think, and I'll just start here people are going to ignore you when you ask them for, for actual information. Um, and that's them doing their job and they know you're doing your job and no one holds anyone, you know, like it, it's fine. I mean, there were there were athletic directors who, you know, in, in late August, they were like, hey, you know, so sorry, I had to ignore your calls and texts. Like, you know, I just, you know, I'm str- under strict orders, blah, blah, blah. And these are people who've given me information in the past, right? But there are certain situations where, It's just, you're going to feel really annoying, but that's just doing your job. Um, So I'll start with that because that's an uncomfortable period of time as well with news. But I think too, um, I've always looked at it this way. Like it's cool to get, you know, to, to break news on a schedule or, or something, um, you know, that, that ultimately like will be announced or confirmed. But one thing I always looked at it was if you build relationships with people, then like if, Again, let's use Jay Wright as an example. So the first time, we're just getting to know each other. Then we have a second time, we get to know each other a little bit more. Then, you know, maybe I'll go out of my way because Villanova's playing at St. John's and I live in New York. So I'm just going to go over there. Don't need to write about the game. But then, you know, small talk, catch up about family, things that are not, things that are about real people, right? That that are not transactional, that are not, um, you know, just pumping that person for information and remembering things about them. And Jay is funny because in his phone, I've seen this, at the bottom with a contact, when it says notes, he writes little notes, like like a wife's name, kids' names, like little things to remember. This is why recruiting works, right? It's but so smart. Yeah. So I need smart. to do that more. And, yeah. And, and it's a great tip for anyone. And so after a time, then you come to him and say, hey, I want to do a bigger profile like on you and where you are in your career. And then you're sitting down and all of a sudden that person trusts you. And so you're at a deeper, you're starting that conversation at a different point than you would have if you didn't put in all that time at all those like random events that you went out of your way to go just say hi and catch up with and totally informally and never use anything. So I've always looked at it that way. Like the the breaking news part is great, but I also, there's there's a lot of pride in in a great feature because that person trusted you and opened up to you. Um, Like there was one I did on Billy Donovan where he talked about, um, the loss of his daughter. And like, I just remember thinking, you know, like three years prior, I would not have been able to ask those questions because it just would totally not have been okay. And so you get to that point. And I think even with, um, you know, and, and in football, these football coaches are different. Like they're different cats than basketball coaches, as you guys know. And so it's even sometimes harder to break down those walls. Um, but again, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll sit in Mike Locksley's office and we're sitting there for two hours. And then by the end, I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. So then I'm going to go out of my way when I see something that I know he's interested in or would be an excuse to, to talk to him and include him in like a trend story. I'm going to go out of my way and include him and ask for him or, or shoot a text that I, you know, saw a crazy play in his game or whatever it is. Right because again, it's it's about showing up and, and seeing people. So if you can't do it in person, which like now we can't, it's about texts and calls. Like I, I'm bad at just straight up cold calling people, but I'm, I'm okay sending a text being like, Hey, let's catch up this week. Like pick a time. And then just, you know, just shooting the shit. Like it doesn't have to be always pumping that person for information. So then you get to the point where news is breaking and I have people who never leak information, telling me stuff because it's been, we've known each other for years now and and they trust you. And I think too, um, you know, when you are breaking news or putting something out there that's sourced, I always ask the person how, if it's okay, if I identify them as X, you know, here is a, a person with direct knowledge of the situation or an FBS, um, As associate athletic director or a Power Five AD or whatever it is to make sure that they're not going to get in trouble. It's not too obvious, too identifying. But I think also that is like that transparency in the process helps build trust too because they they see how their words like the context of what what they're telling me is going to be put out there. So I just think about all of that stuff. Um, But but again, I think for younger reporters, when you get so fixated on seeing like Woj and Shams like you know breaking news. There's so many benefits to building relationships that are not transactional news. That are just like you end up getting better stories because the people trust you and they'll tell you more.
0: Quick question before we um, let you go: One of the things that I think has been so interesting, um, and, and like a fun side of it, is that you've become this beat of like finding a viral meme or someone that fell asleep at a game or the Kansas girl that was crocheting. Take us first of how that came about and then how you find random strangers information from seeing them on TV. Okay. It's incredibly hard, but also very
3: fun. Honestly, the, the girl who gave the finger at the Texas game earlier this year, she
2: is my white whale.
3: She has ignored all of my messages. Sometime, she's going to talk to me at some point. I will get her.
2: She's um, giving you the middle finger. Yeah, She is. She is. <laughs> uh, but, but True I, to her I, form.
3: <laughs> I also kind of understand not wanting your name necessarily associated with that meme, but it's fine. I'll work on it. But I, I think it probably started, um, you know, actually, I know exactly when it started. If, if you guys remember like eight years ago, there was oh. a. I thought
2: there it was a guy.
3: No, they, this was NC State, had a court storm, and there was someone on a wheelchair yes. who stormed the court. And he was very easy to find. Talk to him. That story did super well. People were fascinated by his story. So it went from there. And then I caught up with the girl, the crying piccolo girl from Villanova a year after when Villanova made the final four. And then at the athletic, like it just started with I think the the LSU, the death glare, when they were losing to to Alabama. She was so fun. And and they're oh, always so shell they're always so shell-shocked because they're they're like. They, they just went viral. But the Kansas crochet girl, I have to tell you guys that story because it's, it's the funniest one and the most one I'm most proud of. She was impossible to find, unsurprisingly, not really active on social media. So I combed through tweets for hours and, and I knit. So I could tell she was crocheting and not knitting. So that was key too. So I searched the right terms. <laughs> and I eventually found someone who said that it was a girl who lived in her door, like on her floor she was really nice and she knit things for homeless people. That was so then i was searching finding all these things found this this organization in Lawrence Kansas that knit scarves and hats for homeless people. Email cold emailed it and it was her. Wow. And that time I found her. That's so. unreal. That's like maybe one of your best gets.
2: <laughs> who knew that <laughs> knitting could be so beneficial to like investigative <laughs> reporting?
3: I know. Yeah. Sports writers start knitting and will it will <laughs> potentially potentially (laughs) help your career someday that's
1: amazing well nicole thank you so much for your time meme queen newsbreaker overall badass we are so thrilled that you joined us and um we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and we're going to continue to be huge fans of yours
3: oh thank you guys so much i'm also
0: huge fans of yours thank you guys for listening to the sideline Pass podcast don't forget to download rate and review and we will see you next week